Welcome to the Mormon Mompreneur Podcast. Mormon Mompreneur is a home for women of faith who desire to be strengthened in motherhood and empowered in business. We thrive off of talking with other women with unique experiences and vision who have felt guided by the divine to bring about remarkable things at home and abroad. Start out by introducing yourself and tell us um, about your kids, about where you live, and what you do. My name is Amy Dot Harmer, and I use the middle name Dot because when I was little, that's actually my middle name, and there were so many Amys that we had to figure out a way to distinguish between Amy 1, Amy 2, and Amy 3. So my middle name's Dot, so I, it kind of stuck that everyone called me Amy Dot. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Sandy right now, but I grew up in Salt Lake. I have four kids. I have one that's on a mission, a daughter that's just graduated from high school, and a son that's in his sophomore year at high school, and then a daughter that will start middle school. And then I actually had a little stillborn baby a couple of years ago, so we count him, little baby Winston. Of course you count him, right? He's one of your yeah. pack. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And you have a missionary. He's coming. home. Yes. Soon. And he's coming home um, a week from tomorrow. And that's why you hear chaos, because I have painters painting that room so he can come home to a room that's not a total disaster. <laughs> leave it to me to leave it till the last minute. You well, know? you've got other stuff going on, right? Yeah, I, do. I do have other stuff going on. So right now, you are the director at Serve Refugees. Is that right? So Serve Refugees is actually part of an app and the app is run by the Utah Refugee Center. So I'm the director of outreach for the Utah Refugee Center. And my job is to help people be connected to refugees and find things to do that help them feel like they are contributing in some way to refugees. So we run the app called Serve Refugees, which you can download on your smartphone that gives you lots of ideas of ways to learn about refugees, serve refugees and give to refugees. And then I run the social media feed part of it, which is Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook called Serve Refugees to kind of continue to inspire people to want to do more for refugees. And this app, you have opportunities. The range is huge, right? I mean, you could donate diapers or you can actually like serve a family. Yes, there's lots of different things. My philosophy is, especially when it comes to the LDS membership, is that everyone wants to do something, but they don't really know where to start. And my thought is the more information you have, the better the revelation as to what you can do to serve refugees. So if you don't have any information, it's pretty hard to be inspired to know what gifts and talents you can use to bless refugees. My idea is to put it in their hand, all this different information and ways to give and stories about refugees, stories about volunteers, projects you can do, and then they can be inspired to know what to do given where they're at in their life and how much time or energy they have to offer. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think that's a quote we're going to use. Oh, good. (laughs) The inspiration comes with revelation. Frequently we'll pray, okay, I need an answer, but then we don't even do anything to gather information about what we can do. 
And typically, as LDS women, we wait for the Relief Society or young women or someone to come up with a project. And really, that's not what we really were asked to do in General Conference. Elder Kieran said, get on your knees and find out what you can do to contribute to this great humanitarian effort and pray about what it is that you can do in a unique way to bless refugees. Don't wait for someone to do a project. I mean, those are fine. I'm not saying don't do those, but I think there are people that have some really unique assets and attributes that could really be beneficial to refugees. And don't discount some of your talents. I have this cute person that I know that offered to do balloons for refugees. And I thought, when am I going to ever need someone to do balloons? We have done three outreach nights for community centers for refugee children where we used a balloon guy, we used a magician. So you never know where your gifts and talents are going to come into play. There's always something that you can do to contribute. Don't discount if you're a magician. <laughs> for refugees. <laughs> That's amazing. So have you seen other stories where women have been inspired to reach out to you? I mean, I feel like I'm one of those stories, actually, now that I say that. <laughs> you see, I think what people have to realize is that one of the things that I love about the Church and Young Women's program is the reason these girls have all these goals is because it helps expose them to a lot of different areas and arenas in their life. And what happens is when you tap into those divine gifts, you become more of who God wants you to be. And as a continuation, for example, you, okay, I take pictures. I have an interest in photography. Okay, that's really awesome. I can take pictures of people and and they like that, but then taking it a step further and helping people discover that you don't have to be this beautiful picture in order to have value. You can share meaningful things about yourself and that makes you beautiful inside. And so you are trying to capture, in essence, women are beautiful not because of the way they look, but who they are. This keeps happening where someone will call me and say, hey, I do this and I'm wondering if it could be helpful for refugees. And I think the project that we're working on with Fatima in the mayor's office is you came to me and said, okay, I have this certain skill set and this business and this platform that I want to use. How could it bless refugees? And we're still working on how that's going to end up. It's a creative process, but that's outside of the typical, oh, I can put together some used clothing for refugees or I can put together this kit for refugees there's, there's something different. And, you know, maybe some people don't have time to do a project, but they have time to go buy an extra pair of shoes and sweatshirt for teenage refugees. So it kind of depends on what you feel like you have time to give. So let's tell our listeners exactly okay. how we met. You can share, because I'm <laughs> curious how you became inspired to know what to do. I met Amy because I have Beauty Revived, which is a photography movement that celebrates real women with real beauty. So photographers donate sessions to these women, and then we tell their story on our website. So I come to Utah every summer for about a month, and I had been getting a prompting over and over that I needed to do something. That happens to me a lot. Especially. Okay, so this is where I'm saying more information, then comes the revelation. So you have this prompting, I want to do something, I don't know what to do. So then you started exploring, right? Yeah, and I actually happened upon Instagram and your feed through someone else's feed, and the spirit said, that's it. So I reached out and said, I have a whole group of photographers who are willing to donate sessions. 
how can we help the refugees? I feel like this is something we need to do. And from that, Amy got me in contact. We met while I was in Utah and we met with the mayor's office with a great woman, Fatima, who is the mayor's refugee liaison. And so now we're working on a project where Beauty Revived and Beauty Revived photographers can take pictures of refugee families and help the mayor's office spread the word about how other people can help refugees. Well, and I think what was interesting is you reached out to me and we're still working through the creative process and it isn't always easy and not always does the first like matchup always work. So I usually can tell if a project's supposed to go when it has some momentum and movement. And we, we met with one contact and it didn't quite go, I mean... It, it just didn't seem to be the exact right fit. And then we met with another contact and then it just seemed to have a little more momentum and we're still working through that. And that's kind of how it is with revelation, I think, and inspiration when you start collecting that information about, okay, what can I do? You maybe start somewhere and then all of a sudden you end up someplace totally somewhere else, but that's where you're supposed to be. That's been my whole life, actually. <laughs> Well, that's a good life, right? So tell me about that. Tell me about how My evolution you got... of getting yeah. here. Okay, yeah. so let's rewind a long time ago. So one of the things that happened to me when I was in college is I had this really cute boyfriend. Everything looked great on the surface, but I just found myself not feeling very happy and not very fulfilled. And I started just exploring some different avenues and possibilities. And I started reading the Book of Mormon really seriously and decided I wanted to go on a mission, which was totally not on my lifeline plan. I mean, really, I think people were kind of surprised when I went. And then when I got home, all of my friends had moved on and gotten married and done with college. And I was like, Oh, man, what am I going to do? And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time where I was asked to be involved with large scale service projects at the University of Utah. And at the time, I knew that that was the right place to be. And I had some really profound experiences gathering people together, especially U of U students with the institute program up at the University of Utah doing some really cool things. And actually, one of the experiences that I had there was with a Russian refugee family that I still to this day will never forget my experience with them. I've always had a service focus ever since that. I mean, my family, we've done projects supporting kids in Haiti, being able to go to school. I have five nieces and nephew that were adopted from Haiti. We've done dinners for kids with cancer while they're here doing adaptive skiing. I really love service and just try and get everyone excited about service and involve my family and friends. But I also have this need to be creative. So as I've evolved as a mom, I've always had a little side business too. So being creative and serving have always been just a part of who I was. I didn't. It's almost like I don't really have a choice. I have to do those things or I'm not really happy or fulfilled. Through the years, you know, I made extra money by doing clip art for Provo Craft and doing simple stick figures. And I mean, when I say I mastered fourth grade art, I really mastered fourth grade stick people. So I had <laughs> clip art and rubber stamps that I did with Provo Craft. I designed a line of charms for a jeweler in Bountiful, the gemsmith. So I've always had this creative thing. And then I've also had this side thing where 
I also want my kids to be involved in service. So as a mom, I always found a little creative outlet to use my gift and talents and then a service outlet. And fast forward a couple years, I ended up designing fabric for a company, Riley Blake Fabric, for several years when they were first launching. And all of a sudden, after doing that for a couple of years, I just felt like I needed to take everything off my plate and slow down and be a mom. So I stopped all the creative stuff, but I still did service a little bit with my family. We did projects. But then I had a friend who was a blogger, Jen Hadfield from Tater Tots and Jello. She has a really big blog who needed some extra help. And I hadn't been working for a while because I designed fabric, felt like I should stop. And in that time period, I ended up having a pregnancy and a stillborn baby and just needed a little break. And that's a whole nother story, but Jen needed some help. And I said, you know, I really think I want to give this a try. And she said, oh, I don't know if you really want to do this. I think you have, you could do your own blog. And I said, really, I don't want my own blog. I really just want a creative outlet again and somewhere to put my time and energies and just do something a little different. And so when I was working with her, I became her artistic director of content and did a lot of projects and learned a lot more about social media and how powerful social media can be. And during that time period, we did a lot of really awesome, fun projects together. But it gave me an insight on the power of bloggers and the power of social media to do good. And I had been involved with the Utah Refugee Center with some other projects, and they asked me if I'd come as a consultant as they were launching the Serve Refugees app. And I thought, you know, things are kind of mellowing out with this blogger. She's moving to a new home. It'll be kind of far away. So I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe I can be a consultant and just come on as part-time, a part-time job to help with the social media. So I started doing that and they asked me to do some outreach to businesses. And then when their executive director decided to take a different job, the Utah Refugee Center board said, hey, would you like to come on and fill her position? And I was like, I'm not really sure if I can do that. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I have had a lot of experience, but it's different when you think about doing service as part of your employment And I was worried about whether or not I would enjoy it as much if it were a job. But there are aspects of it that I totally adore and find super meaningful. The business side of it, the books, the side stuff is not as fun and easy for me to do, but I'm learning. And I feel like it's no coincidence that Heavenly Father took me to this place. It evolved over time and the experiences and the gifts that I had developed through the past come into perfect play, I think, for this And that's not to say, you know, I'm going to be here forever and it's the perfect thing. But I do remember saying to my husband years ago, the perfect job that I would love is if I could just get businesses and people involved with large scale service projects. And now I'm like, I don't know, should I have ever said that? (laughs) Because here I am. That's what I do. I invite people to get involved and make a difference in the lives of refugees. And sometimes they're little projects and sometimes they're big projects. So... That's kind of how I got here. I think it's always interesting to look back at your life and say, oh, these different steps Mm -hmm. um, have gotten me to where I am. But how are you brave enough to take time off? Well, you know, it's interesting because I had a really good friend who was also an artist and we went to lunch and she's the same kind of creative person. And 
she was wanting to do more with her art and she was trying to figure out what she should be doing. And she said, you know, how are you feeling about things? And I said, you know, I have learned to be really conscious of what the spirit tells me as far as working and using my creative gifts and talents, because I know that they can be distractions from the things that are really important. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough that the extra money that we've had from the things that I do isn't paying all the bills and all the main things. It's usually something that we use to supplement what we're already doing. Now that may change as I have two kids starting college. (laughs) It may be like, okay, I need to work a little more. But I have had really strong promptings when it's come to doing creative projects and being involved in entrepreneurship. When I started down the road of interviewing and talking to this fabric company at the very beginning, I knew it was something I was supposed to do. It was really profound. It was like, you need to do this. And it was, you know, an awesome experience for the years that I did it. But then for whatever reason, well, I know it wasn't for whatever reason, when I felt like I should pull back and I told my friend, you know, it's interesting. I'm happy to share my connections with you and I'd love to see you go forward with this, but I feel like I kind of need to pull back. It was interesting because six weeks later, I found out I was pregnant and it wasn't a pregnancy that I had been planning on. It was a surprise, but I felt like Heavenly Father was preparing me for this really difficult time period that I was going to go through. And had I had deadlines and a lot going on at that time, I don't think I would have fared as well if I had been working really intensely at the time, which, you know, when you're on deadlines, you have to work intense. I think a lot of Mormon women and a lot of our listeners have a hard time accepting that the Holy Ghost is a huge part of the business aspect. We compartmentalize it into just the spiritual things, not, oh, well, this is business. Oh, this is this. And we don't think about the Holy Ghost really being a part of that aspect of our lives. Yeah. So with Beauty Revived, like, like you said, I knew I was supposed to do it, like hands down. And I had no idea how it was going to work. Yeah. But that's almost better, right? So you can have yeah, faith. Than blind, yeah, blind faith. <laughs> so what are some of the lessons that you've taken away from working with refugee people and women in particular? I have kind of some very personal, strong feelings about why we've been asked to help refugees. And the first and foremost is they need help and support more than anything else. You know, they are vulnerable population. They've been through a lot. And I'm sure we've been asked to do it because we genuinely need to help them. I mean, it's what Christ would be doing. But then there's some secondary reasons why I think we've been asked to help with this humanitarian effort of helping refugees. And the the only way to describe it is like if you have a cup with holes in it and you're filling it with water and all the water just keeps pouring out. I feel like there are a lot of women and teenage girls that are pouring what they think will bring them joy into this cup that just has holes in it. You know, whether it's the perfection of social media or whether it's thinking that you've got to do everything perfectly, not being real or working out, whatever it is, they are trying to fill this cup that has holes in it that will never be fulfilling and bring them joy. And when I watch women engage in meaningful ways with refugees, something really beautiful happens. I feel like they all of a sudden discover more of who they are and they realize they're valued, they're wanted, they're needed. 
And this mutual experience happens where both parties feel like they become more of who they're meant to be. When you enable a refugee to go to school and watch her kids so she can learn English, you realize you have a gift and skill that could bless other people. But then also you're enabling this person to become more of who God wants them to be. So I think that's one reason is women will find joy and fulfillment in who they are and discover more of who they are when they serve refugees. And there's nothing more Christ-like either than offering a hand to someone who really needs it. So it's kind of like they discover God and Christ in the service that they offer in a way that they can't discover just by reading the scriptures or praying. And I'm not saying that minimizes it, but it just gives a little bit more tangible experience of what it is to be Christ-like. So there's that. And then I think about where all of these refugees come from. And as the director of outreach for the Utah Refugee Center, I don't frequently say this, but I really think it's unique that all of these refugees come from actually countries where the gospel is not being able to be readily shared. Missionaries aren't allowed to go to many of these countries. Our first and foremost goal should not necessarily be to convert them, but to just share the beautiful aspects of what members of the Church of Jesus Christ do for people that need help. And then who knows what the long-term effects of that could be. I mean, whether they go back and they say, oh yeah, I met some Mormon ladies. They made a big difference in my life. I think we want to let these missionaries into our country. Or they end up joining the church. But those are some of the side benefits of this refugee effort and what it can do for us. When I met with you and met with one of the refugee directors, and yeah. I thought, I was like, this is crazy. It's Halima. Was it, was it when we met with Halima? Yeah. yeah so okay. I am driving down and I'm thinking, because I have a six-month-old baby, Yeah. and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm bringing a baby to a business meeting, but I had to do it, you know, cause yeah. she's cause that's still, motherhood. That's motherhood. It's what you do. <laughs> yeah, we do and, what we gotta do. And as I was driving down, I thought I was thinking about it and I just got the impression that it, this is what's supposed to happen. Like it's okay. It's going to be okay. And then when I met Halima and Fatima, they were instantly drawn to me because of my baby. Oh yeah. Right? They wanted to eat that baby up and they insisted on holding her and taking care of her. Oh yeah. You made some inroads there. <laughs> well, I was just thinking and what I came away with is that we are all moms. We are just the same as these refugees. We just want to raise our kids and we want to love our kids. And that's what I came away with after talking to these women is we're so the same people. And it's a beautiful thing, but you won't realize that unless you are serving them and being around them and letting them hold your kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's an awesome, awesome video of Angelina Jolie giving an acceptance award for a humanitarian award. And one of the things she says is, I don't know why it is that I am standing here when across the world there's a refugee mother sitting in a tent who could probably make better speeches, share her gifts and talents much better than I ever would. But I know that we're similar in so many ways. She has her children and she wonders what she's going to feed them at night and where they're going to sleep and how they're going to become productive contributors in the world. And she says, 
but they don't have a voice and I do. It's up to me to be a voice for these women that can really contribute but can't because of their situation. So if we help them in their situation, then we can discover more of who they're meant to be and more of who we're meant to be. And I think that's so true. When I look at pictures of two women sitting in front of a refugee tent, I think, what if that were me and my friend? What would we be talking about? I feel passionate about developing safe environments for women to be themselves. And I have a mountain biking group of women that we mountain bike a couple times a week. And we, on our way to the trails, we talk about our kids and what we're maybe struggling with or get ideas for church lessons. I remember one of my friends, we planned her whole camp for the young women driving back and forth to mountain bike rides. And she'd come back and say, what do you guys think of this? And I thought, you know, those women sitting in refugee camps have some of the same concerns. They, they want to have a positive, happy life, but because of their situation are stuck in a place where they're not able to live to their full capacity. And so I frequently go, okay, if they don't have a voice, then we need to be their voice. And, you know, the one thing that is awesome about the project you're working on is you'll give a lot of women and volunteers a voice to be able to share something that not everyone else is able to know or experience. And so communicating that is an awesome gift. So we're all just becoming voices for these women. So what advice would you give someone who feels like they have a voice or something to offer, but they don't know what, or they feel well, I think, well, when I, when I speak to different groups, I'm careful because, of course, I want people to do things for refugees. I'm passionate about it. That's what I do. But one of the things I've discovered is in my patriarchal blessing, it talks about as you explore the various avenues and possibilities available to you, it'll come into your heart and mind the thing that's right for you. And when I first heard that statement, I thought, oh, I'm in college that will help me know what I should be able to do as far as a profession and what to study. And what I've really discovered is every maybe three or four years, I have that phrase go through my head saying, as you explore the various avenues and possibilities, it'll come into your heart and mind the thing that's right for you. And it always happens. I go, okay. Like when they said, do you want to come and help us with our social media? I thought, well, maybe I'll explore that and see. You know, I feel like my time working for this blogger is wrapping up. Maybe I should explore something new. And so I started out at the Utah Refugee Center in one of those exploring various avenues and possibilities. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is where you're supposed to be for a while. So I think women, if they're feeling like there's something they should do, whether it's working, whether it's service, whether it's doing something for refugees, if you're getting that prompting like you did, you just start exploring the avenues and possibilities. And that doesn't mean, I mean, I've hit some dead ends some couple, a couple of times exploring where I start down a road and I think it's awesome. And then all of a sudden I get yanked out of it going, this isn't the right thing. And it's awful and it's brutal because I'm really an emotional person and I usually invest a lot of energy and time into something when I start it. And so when I feel like Heavenly Father yanks it out from underneath me, I'm not always really happy about that. <laughs> But I think that's what you do is you explore the various avenues and possibilities and then it will come into your heart and mind what's right for you. So how have you been accepting of not failure but a no? Because I have that happen oh, in my life oh, where it's like, no, those this are brutal. isn't it. 
It's brutal. But you know what? It comes back to listening to the Holy Ghost. Like I remember when I was talking about when I was in college, everything seemed to be perfect. I had a good job. I had this cute boyfriend and everything seemed to be going the right way. And I remember we were thinking of moving our relationship to the next level. And I remember just feeling this, this is so not right. Do not do this. And I hate that. It's lovely when the Holy Ghost like says, yes, this is a really good thing and you feel wonderful, but it's horrible when it slams you in the face and goes, uh, you're going the wrong way. And, you know, at the time I was just like, well, I have this really awesome, great boyfriend. So how am I going to give that up? But luckily, Heavenly Father kept prompting me to listen and I ended up going down a different road and the road that I went has been an amazing beautiful road. I ended up going on a mission. I ended up getting involved with service. There are lots of things. But no sometimes are hard because sometimes they're not always totally clear. For example, you know, that time it was like, no, this isn't what you're going to do. And I just couldn't move forward with it. So luckily, that wasn't that hard. But, you know, I've had some creative projects where I start down the road with them. And it's pretty hard in business to say, well, I kind of got this prompting. I wasn't supposed to do business with you, <laughs> you know, because it doesn't translate really well. But I've had probably two of those in my life that I don't know what would happen had I kept going. And then some just end because it just doesn't end up working out. And those can be brutal. Like I have to say, you know, in the last year, I had a business opportunity that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And it was, there was some good crying and wondering, okay, why the heck did I even go down this road? And why didn't it turn out the way I thought? Because in the beginning, I had this grandiose plan of how it was going to turn out. And then it ended up really failing abysmally. And it was brutal on my self-esteem. I mean, it was really hard, but I've kind of learned that even when you feel abandoned or you don't feel like things work out, Heavenly Father is really moving puzzle pieces and fitting the experience and where you are to, to something better later on. You know, I had some really profound experiences earlier in my life that helped me when I ended up having this stillborn baby really understanding why Heavenly Father had had me go through that. And, you know, after time, that's not to say when something bad happens, I just go, oh, yeah, this is part of God's plan, and it'll be fine. I mean, there's a weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and just why, but I've usually found that the end product, when I have a little distance from it, I can see why it happened that way. The failures are brutal. <laughs> <laughs> my husband and I have been through some ups and downs with both his challenges and my challenges with different business things. But in general, I feel like I'm really grateful for those because they made me more of who I am today. And there's things that I can accomplish right now with who I am today. So I don't know if that's helpful. That's really helpful. I think that I think that you see people who are somewhere like a director at you know serve refugees and you think I don't like the word director I just like outreach outreach, outreach coordinator because the I don't feel like I really want to be a director <laughs> so I like to minimize it but anyway yeah but keep going you see people that have a, 
a title director like director and you think that they just got there that there wasn't trials and there weren't disappointments but but those disappointments and trials are what's made you capable of being the director and and having those life experiences so it's good to hear right well I think one of the major problems with social media is the projection of perfection and you know one of my favorite things is you know because I worked with bloggers and in the blogger world is you know they present these beautiful rooms or the perfect craft or you know this birthday party that was perfect but my favorite is when they actually say do you want to see what my craft room really looks like right now and they let you see and you're like oh yay they're real they're awesome you know and I've tried really hard to, with my friends and with people that I associate, they know that I'm not this perfect person. Like I remember I had to do an auxiliary training um, in the Stake Release Society and that day was like horrendously crazy. I had lacrosse games and soccer and work stuff and I had to change my clothes in in the Juan Diego Catholic school parking lot. I had to write my notes in the Catholic school parking lot. And I got to the auxiliary training and I just got up and I said, I just want you to know I didn't just come from feeding my kids this perfect dinner and writing my notes in my study. I was literally changing into a skirt in the school parking lot and writing my notes in the Catholic school parking lot. And so if it has a little bit of a a Catholic slant to my message, you'll know that I was inspired from a different side. But trying to let people know, you know, living the gospel is not this beautiful, easy path. It's, It's messy and it's not perfect. And when we project perfection, it makes everyone else feel inadequate. And I think that's not what the gospel is supposed to do. We're supposed to like grab arms and say, we're going to move forward together. I'll take you where you're at, whether you're just a new member, whether you're a person just recovering from an addiction, whether you're someone that's still struggling with something. Let's join arms and let's all just try and move together wherever we're at and stop being critical and nitpicky of each other's imperfections. We got to help each other because failure is part of the game. No one's perfect and we have to be okay with being who we are which we're real like if I could pick up my computer and carry you around you'd go oh yeah she's real I have painters upstairs painting my son's bedroom who comes home in a week we ripped out a whole bunch of stuff in our backyard and you know the typical Mormon homecoming gathering where you have food at someone's house my backyard looks like Caddyshack right now so I'm like okay (laughs) We've got dug up trench from a gas line and we've got all this stuff. And I, I keep thinking maybe I should just hire a taco truck and put it in my front driveway and no one could stand out there and just wave at people and we can hand them a taco to go. <laughs> that is so, not a bad idea. <laughs> dang, it's the Sabbath. Oh, that's How right. I pull up a taco truck. <laughs> But it would be totally appropriate because he's he served a Spanish-speaking mission in Virginia. So we all are just doing the best we can. And I'm learning that finding a balance isn't always easy. But I think when you listen to the Holy Ghost and you're not afraid of those promptings, you usually discover the Holy Ghost knows a lot better than you do where you should be. And that over time you should trust that voice because... 
it's too hard to navigate where you're supposed to be in this world without it. If you don't, you're in trouble. And I probably should have listened to the voice say, don't worry about your backyard and don't take any trees out a couple of months ago and then I won't have a Caddyshack disaster area backyard. <laughs> but it's all good. I'll, I'll make some people feel really good about that's themselves right. when they come over. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here to help everyone feel better about how perfect their lives are. <laughs> I want to know how does working now, you work more now than you used to, right? Yeah. And it's it, it's evolved. Different times in my life I've worked more or less kind of based on need and what I feel strongly about doing. So, well, how is it different having a side hustle, like having a side business when your kids are little and when your kids are older? Okay, so it's funny. I used to do these boutiques all the time, which was kind of like Etsy in real life. You know, when I was younger, I did these personalized rubber stamps with your family's faces on it and the return address and teacher stamps. And I used to go to boutiques and sell all of the stuff that I had made. And it was a lot of weekends. And my husband was so kind. He would say, I really want you to develop your gifts and talents. And of course, he liked, he's an accountant, so he liked having some extra income. But he was always really supportive. And there were some weekends where I would work really late doing the stuff that I was doing, the artwork. And it changed kind of based on what I felt like I could really do realistically. I mean, holiday seasons were always crazy. And then also what I felt like the spirit was prompting me to do. So when I designed fabric for a fabric company, I felt really strongly about it. I said, I'm only going to do it if I can get them to pay me this amount per month plus the royalty. And I had like three babysitters that I would use for, you know, because I had a little infant. And if any of those things didn't happen, I wasn't going to do it. So I usually would set parameters and say, I'm only going to do it if... I can find the perfect babysitter and not feel guilty about being away. And if I can make enough money that it compensates for that time away. And so it varied all the time. It varied based on how much time I had, how much extra money we needed, or what I felt prompted to do. So it just, it, I think it kind of varies based on what you feel like is right. Like I remember, this goes back to Mormon women and working I remember there was a lady in a neighborhood that kept saying to me, do you think I should work? Do you think I should work? What should I do? And I said, it doesn't really matter what I tell you to do. It, it matters what you decide with Heavenly Father. If you feel good about it and your conversations with Heavenly Father and you feel like you, need, you should move forward, then you do it. But if you feel like you're getting an answer, no, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And I think we have to be careful, too. We, we sometimes tend to be critical of people that work, especially women in the church. And it may be that their gifts and talents, they've been prompted to use those in an employment setting versus in their home setting. Or they don't have a choice. They have to work. My time frames working have really varied. I haven't been full-time my whole life. I haven't been part-time my whole life. There's been times when I haven't done anything and I've tried to really listen to the spirit and follow those promptings. I think that's really important about, because if, if you had a career, you would say, mm -hmm. my whole life, I went to work from eight to yeah. five, right? It's very, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is what you're doing. Yeah. But 
as a mompreneur and as someone who is saying, you know, I'm going to be a mom first and then I'm going to listen to the Holy Ghost and he's going to tell me what I should be doing. What would you tell Mormon women listening now? What, what is your big message to them? I am a big proponent of creating safe environments for other women. When I was going through a really hard time and I lived out of state, I thought, I'm going to plan this really cool retreat and I'm going to invite all my young friends with young kids and then I'm going to invite the women I admire and love and we're going to have a weekend away and we're going to come with all our questions and we're going to have this great camaraderie and we're going to solve all of these young moms problems with all this knowledge from these older women and I seriously planned this in my mind when I got back to Utah this was what I was going to do and then all of a sudden I was laying in bed and I'm like well that's Release Society and that's sisterhood that's really what we should be creating for each other, that we're creating these safe environments where we can be loved and accepted and real, not perfect. And we can have people that don't judge us and help us be inspired and have knowledge to know what to do in difficult situations. And we just work together and bring each other along and forget about, you know, what social media makes you feel like you need to be to be valuable you tap into what your divine gifts and talents are, and then you will feel valuable. I love it because you live it. And I think the reason why you found such fulfillment is we're supposed to serve and we're supposed to create. That's why we're here. And I think that's motherhood. I think that's womanhood. Yeah. And I have loved spending an hour with you. This is fantastic. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the Mormon Mompreneur podcast. Check out our other episodes and learn from other women of faith, motherhood, and business as they share their unique stories and experiences. Go to www.mormonmompreneur.com or the iTunes store to learn more.